0: Hello again friends and welcome to my back 40 in the my back 40 podcast i'm your host steve o'shaughnessy well as always i hope you guys had a great week and uh, i hope you enjoyed that last conversation with miro michael of the masaka cycling club um i would encourage anyone uh who's who are listening to this podcast right now who uh ha- haven't listened to the miro michael podcast the masaka cycling club podcast podcast, to please go back and check it out and um, see what you think. It seems to have resonated with a lot of people. Um, uh, Miro Michael is trying to basically build a cycling club. So he's not trying to build a cycling club. He is building a cycling club in Masaka, Uganda, to bring hope to um, underprivileged youth there, boys, girls, uh, disabled youth, and uh, it's an awesome project, and I'm glad to kind of be involved and help out with uh, anything that they need. <laughs> I mean, just really getting the message out. Um, since that podcast, we've actually generated a little bit of interest here in Canada. And uh, I've connected Ross and, and Miro to uh, some folks that have reached out. Um, yeah, it's pretty awesome uh, that people are uh, stepping up to, to see what they can do. And, uh, if you want to learn more about the Masaka cycling club, you can head on over to, you know, just go to YouTube and search for the hidden athlete project and then check out the videos they have there. Uh, there's a series of videos that are kind of like, um, chronological kind of like a journal of kind of what's been going on, uh, during that project. And, uh, Ross uh, has been spearheading a lot of that and bringing bikes and equipment to these kids. And, um, th- by watching the videos, you're going to really see kind of what they're dealing with. Like the, the bikes that they're training on are, um, like, I think there was one video that was showing like, th- they, they weighed this one bike and it was, it was well over 20 kilograms. And, uh, Ross shows up with, with this, you know, $5,000 bike to, to donate to the club. And they weigh that. And it's like, I think it was like a, maybe a I don't know, like a seventeen or sixteen or seventeen pound bike, or something like that, like seven or eight kilos. And uh, that's what those that's what those riders need over there. They need uh, if they're gonna if they're gonna contend, they're gonna need equipment and um, food and gear, and basically they need an influx of cash to be able to float the club and to get them to events to compete. So um, it's really important. So I would encourage you to go and check it out. And, uh, if you want more information, you can certainly reach out to me or you could reach out to Ross bridge of the hidden athlete podcast. Um, and you can go over to, uh, the hidden athlete.com.au and, uh, there's a donation page there that'll give you more information about what's going on. So please go over and check it out. And, uh, every little bit helps and, um, yeah, let's, uh, let's build an awesome team over there and, and. From what I've seen, uh, I, I think we can expect to see some of those riders on the world stage. And uh, I think that'd be very exciting. And it's fantastic to be involved in that. And I would encourage you to get involved as well. So today on the podcast, I'll be speaking with Cameron Dubay of Beachburg, Ontario. But before I do that, I just wanted to let you guys know of a couple of promotions. Um, Cycling 101 is still offering their uh, promo code 101VIP20. Where you can save 20% off a bike fit or a consultation. I would definitely uh, encourage you to reach out to Ryan if you're kind of struggling with your training program or struggling with bike fit, I would reach out, use that promo code 101 VIP 20, and you're going to save 20% off that bike fit or a consultation. Also Ryan extended his, um, uh, NAC bar ambassador code to us as well. So if you're listening to this and you're looking for some food and you want to eat some crickets you can uh, (laughs) head over to uh, knackbar.com and you can uh, use the promo code Ryan at checkout to save some money. And I believe if you spend over 50 bucks, you're gonna get free shipping. So that's awesome as well. I also have some exciting news. Uh, Because of a very generous donator, um, I was able to get myself a Whoop membership, a Whoop strap, and, uh, I'm very, very grateful to these people. I haven't asked if I could, if I could say who they are yet. So I'm, I won't uh, say who they are, but, um, one project that Ryan and I are going to be working on. And I've, I know you've heard me speak of this a couple of times on the podcast is the, um, the doing the tour divide in 2021. I turned 50. I want to kind of go into, into my fifties with a bang. And I thought, what better way to than to, uh, suffer on the trail for two or three weeks. I should probably say three or four weeks. Um, and uh, to do that, I really wanted to be trained up. So uh, I'm grateful to Cycling 101. They're going to be sponsoring me. They're going to be training me. And uh, now that I have a, a whoop strap, I'm going to be able to really watch, um, collect data just to see how I'm doing, what my health is like, what the training's like. And uh, I'm going to share that with you guys. So from time to time, Ryan and I are going to come on here and, and just chat about that training program and and kind of chat about his ideology around training and how he uses heart rate variability to train his athletes. And uh, I really want to race that. I really want to do well on that ride. And it's going to, it's not going to be, I'm not breaking any records, but I definitely want to, I want to finish and I want to, I want to be fit for it. And I want to basically do it as fast as I can. And uh, thanks to my donators, my supporters, and uh, Cycling, Cycling 101 for helping me with that. And I, I'm really excited to see where that's going to go. So uh, again, thank you. And I'm, I'm very grateful. So let's get to it. Today on the podcast, as I said, we're talking to Cameron Dubé from Beachburg, Ontario. Beachburg is in the whitewater region of Ontario. And for those of you who aren't avid paddlers, uh, I grew up in that area. But um, the whitewater region of Ontario is known throughout the world for having some of the best whitewater in the region. So, Or in the, in the world, I should say. So, uh, people come from all over to paddle there and, um, Cameron Dubay grew up in that area and, uh, he's a certified whitewater instructor and he's very passionate about cycling, bike packing and pack rafting. So he wants to help people get their feet wet in the world of pack rafting. So we do talk a lot about that and we also discuss something, uh, he shares some of his knowledge about, uh, the legalities and liabilities surrounding, events organization. So that's very interesting as well. So I would, I would, uh, encourage those of you who are thinking of starting an event just to listen to the podcast. There's lots to consider there about that. And, um, yeah, I just, uh, this is a really good conversation. He's a good dude. And, uh, I look forward to bringing you this conversation immediately right now. And now I bring you Cameron Dubay. Uh, back in the day I was a snowboard instructor at Calabogie Oh, yeah. For like a couple of winters, but, uh, which is kind of all around you, but I've never actually, I don't think I've ever been to Beachburg. All
1: right. Tell me about <laughs> it. Is it a little town, like pretty small? Yeah. Beechburg's. uh, so it's in Whitewater Township. It's, it's right where all the rafting companies are based out of. They're just down the road, right? So, yeah. We're 900 wow. people. Oh, and then Super small. Summertime, you know, more of the kayakers and rafters, the river rats, they show up. Yeah. And, uh, I mean maybe another hundred folks are in, in and around town and then a lot of the senior guides live off of the raft company property and then a bunch of the rookies they'll end up staying right on property so you don't see them too often. But there's usually, you know, a hundred new rookies hired between the companies every year. So cool. it's a good scene, it's a good vibe. It's, it's and- nice
0: people probably won't realize that and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I've never been a paddler, but that area for people listening is probably one of the most world-class areas for whitewater rafting. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. You, paddling. you could compare it. Like I lived in, in Whistler and Golden and Squamish for a bunch yeah. of years and you could compare the paddling scene on the Ottawa river here to like the, the riding in Squamish. It's like who the, who of the, who of paddlers, are here in the summertime yeah yeah deep water warm water huge waves
0: i did a wilderness tour trip is that who you work for
1: i did i work at algonquin college for the last Ah. 12 years now but i i pushed uh rubber down the river for 10 years with tours yeah
0: i like that analogy but uh (laughs) yeah it was super fun i think it was high water so it wasn't it wasn't too crazy but uh but uh it's it's just amazing it's like it was right in my backyard i don't know why i never uh was compelled to take up paddling but
1: yeah i'm the same i grew up here and i had some friends who kayaked but i didn't know what that meant you know In like grade eight nine ten and and then all of a sudden i went to college for guided guide training and got into paddling myself and then it all took off from there and i was like wow this place is a mecca it's it's almost like a surf scene that you'd imagine you know like just flip-flops and Bathing suits and people hanging out on the shore and screaming at people on the waves for the big, giant aerial moves they're doing now and everything. It's really awesome.
0: That's really cool. What what brought you out out west when you came out west? The paddling, I guess.
1: No, it was uh, skiing. So I grew up, you know, skiing Mount Martin and Alice and all those places, right? Because I'm from Pembroke, so. Um, And I just I love skiing and I was in the era like the mid 90s, late 90s when it was Steve Winter movies, right? The Tribe and Glenn Plake was huge and yeah, and all those guys and Scott Schmidt. And I just wanted to go and get that out of my system. So I went out west and did the ski bum teaching skiing thing for four years out there. And then, uh, yeah, I just kind of kept rolling with that. It was it was incredible. It's exactly what I wanted to do. So (laughs)
0: what year what years were you in Whistler Squamish area?
1: I went out, uh, 98, I finished high school and I went out that fall and I worked some construction and that's really what got me into a lot of that kind of that free ride scene which just booming out west then too, right? Like yeah. Wade Simmons and Steve Pete, those were the guys at that time yeah. <laughs> and they were, things were blowing up all over the place made out of wood and, and, uh, so it was 98 when I went out and I was there for two seasons and then kicking horse was going to open up and we went and did some touring there before it did open up and we we're like wow, we had to go here next year and we ended up in golden the opening season
0: for kicking horse we would have been in whistler at the same time then i think cuz i moved out there in like 91 i think maybe it was my first my first winter out there 9091 if i'm not mistaken okay. or 9192 it's all a blur it's so long ago yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> what what construction outfit did you work for out there
1: I don't even remember. I was it was it was something brothers. That's all I remember. And we were just they they just gave me the big hydraulic uh, blaster thing there, and I was eating up the stairs on the in the in the Whistler Village. There, we were redoing some stairs and
0: like by the grocery store.
1: Yeah, yeah, by the grocery by the bus loop, marketplace area. I think I
0: totally remember that. I totally remember them (laughs) digging up those stairs and putting (laughs) the heat.
1: The Catmandu shop. I don't know if that's still there or not, but. Katmandu ski and bike shop mind you there's a thousand shops there but it yeah. was in marketplace yeah
0: oh that's so funny what a small world yeah. hey like we would have crossed paths I'm sure maybe gave each other the nod or something like that
1: <laughs> yeah yeah who knows
0: that's so cool. crazy and then you moved back what compelled you to move back
1: yeah I moved back um college did so yeah. Algonquin College in Pembroke started up a guiding two-year guiding diploma 50 percent Skills based training, like certification based training, and then 50% business, essentially tourism and business. And uh, I was looking at the Thompson Rivers program out west at that time, which was Caribou College back then. Uh, And then I just figured, you know what, come back home for a bit, chill out, get some education under my belt, Um, and then did those two years and then waited one more year for an articulation agreement with Thompson Rivers University in Kamloops. So I went out and did their degree in uh, adventure tourism management out there. So I was in Kamloops for two years, which was like, I'm sure you know, it's just wicked riding. And yeah, you know, Rose, Rose Hill back then was a the place to be in Harper. And it was just super fun and working at Sun Peaks. And I love that town. It was great.
0: Yeah, Sun Peaks was cool. I, I spent a little bit of time there. My, uh, my buddy lived there. His wife managed a hotel and i remember i was living in whistler at the time and uh he said oh dude you should come down to sun peaks give it a go and we can hang out for a bit cuz i haven't seen the dude forever and <laughs> i went there and it was it was so like not crowded it no. it it blew it blew my mind that i could like link together like say a couple hundred turns and not have to stop for a gorby or someone getting in my way it was a beautiful yeah. beautiful hill and yeah, and i world. i biked there as well it was super fun yeah
1: yeah big open cruise cruiser hill yeah it was fun
0: yeah yeah that's cool
1: That's good i ended up volunteering uh to get my seasons pass i volunteered to do fondue tours at night so we'd bring people up at the restaurant up top and give them a fondue dinner and then we all skied down together with the big torches on the end of the bamboo pole worked for me
0: (laughs) how much weight did you put on with all that cheese fondue though
1: yeah lots yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: yeah, they, they do that out here at uh Pano. I went up to the top for a fondue dinner and just had this big just block of cheese in my gut. I'm trying to snowboard down. I was like, oh man, I'm so drunk and full oh, of yeah. cheese.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs>
0: that's awesome. And so now you yeah. say you, you work at Algonquin?
1: Yeah, I've been there for the last uh this would be like this fall would be the ah, th- uh, the fourteenth year, I guess, coming in. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's and- great. It's it's awesome
0: yeah that's great uh <laughs> yeah you know i never i was never really compelled to move back to ontario I, I don't know why i think the the mountains are keeping me here but i can certainly tell you I, I took that area i grew up in for granted there's no question as a as a young person that i didn't see that area for what it was and yeah you know God, is it considered northern ontario i was always kind of like
1: is it no really- the northern the northern boundary and the only reason i'm somewhat familiar with that is just from uh Friends in emergency services. There's a northern pay scale, and it's—I want to say it's just past Sudbury.
0: Oh, okay, so it's out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was, people were like, "Oh, where's Deep River?" And it's like, "Well, it's on Ontario." And I would say where it was. Oh, northern Ontario. And I was like, "I don't think it's northern." I mean, <laughs> almost. I mean, it, it's on that boundary because you know, if you keep going to ask, you're close yeah but i man, guess if you're
1: hamilton ontario that's pretty north for most people it'd be
0: <laughs> yeah well yeah the population definitely starts to shrink the further north you yeah. go in ontario but man yeah. the, the hunting and the fishing and you know deep rivers right on the river and uh the boating and you know the riverbank skiing and the nordic and i never really mountain bike too much there but but uh i have people i know people that do and then now you you had, you had talked briefly about when we were chatting and by the way, it's good to connect. We've been trying to connect for what a year.
1: Yeah, probably that. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that yeah.
0: So apologies for that. Um, but no, uh, it's
1: all good. We're it's busy, busy yeah. times for everybody. <laughs> yeah,
0: and then uh, you know I used to go um, uh, uh, cliff jumping at, at Swisha there, and, and you had mentioned oh, right. you had mentioned that there's a route that goes through there.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's anything. F- super formal yet but there's uh, a few of us kind of working on some different routes and like you mentioned when you cross the Ottawa River you're in western Quebec and it's like it's it's dreamland for bike exploring there's population zero and remoteness is huge there's barely any cell service once you once you cross the river now too Um, so it's it's game on for sure right the bugs are bad the, the the terrain's rough and it's it's just incredible and unfortunately right now we can't cross the provincial boundary with uh, the COVID-19 restrictions on um, for good reasons Mm. obviously but uh, it's you know you go down to the Ottawa on this side and you're staring across just like oh I want to get over there (laughs) but yeah there's some routes in the making over there and you could you could do a a sub 24 at the blink of an eye or you could create a a 3,000 kilometer route there on ride with GPS and I bet you 90% 90% of it had never been ridden on a bike before. It's just crazy.
0: That's it's awesome. awesome. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember when I read about that route, I was like, wow, I bet that's so crazy. And what what would be the first town you would hit as you were going kind of east towards the Ottawa area? Like where, what's the first little town you'd hit?
1: On the, on the Quebec side, some of it I base, uh, I've based them out of Shawville. Okay. Yeah, and then Shawville, you'd get into Queon where the ferry used to be across the Ottawa there. And then you'd basically come into Gatineau, Ottawa. But Well, wow, that's a long way. We, yeah, the ideal route would veer north and then actually go through Gatineau Park, which is beautiful, and you're on the Trans-Canada Trail for a bit. And then you could veer back kind of, you can imagine like a bird's-eye view, you'd veer back kind of um, northwest, come back this way towards the Pontiac region on the Quebec side, and you could actually get right into like, north of Mattawa if you wanted to, like Tamiskaming, Tamagami Shores, that sort of thing, come straight back down to Shwisha, like that'd be like two thousand kilometers right there.
0: That's, that's bananas. Yeah. That's crazy. So yeah. what got you into the bikepacking thing?
1: Um I grew up, you know, in the in the country outside of Pembroke near Alice Ski Hill. So I was always given a bike and just said come back for dinner and you know you disappear. <laughs> like got like all of us at that age. Yeah. Um the first kind of bike packing trips I did, though, were really out east. A lot of my mom's family are from the Maritime. So I would fly out with my bike and my gear and then ride back or vice versa. I'd ride out there with my gear and then fly back. And um, to date, I think I've probably done that trip eight different times, eight different ways, you know, from, from uh, the Ottawa Valley to Halifax or Prince Edward Island, wherever the family reunion is going to be. So it's Kind of a thing now, you ride cam cam rides out there now, and everyone's kind of waiting for it, so <laughs> yeah, that, that was really it. And I started doing that like in probably like 2005 or 2006 was my first trip out there. And the green route in Quebec, La Velt. I mean, there's 4,000 kilometers of cycle only, non motorized trails, right? So you, you can basically ride. To the New Brunswick border, 100% on cycle only paths. Wow, it is incredible. Like, you know, the the risk just drops dramatically because you're not around cars ever, which is just great. And camping anywhere you want, and all through little towns, and it's great. I think it'll be a lot of staycations this summer, sticking around the province. So,
0: yeah. How do you think that's gonna um, be perceived by people on that route? Like, what do you think about that?
1: I don't know, like our ride yesterday, for example, you know, Trudeau went out and said, hey, correction, having a beer in your driveway with your neighbors isn't that, is not illegal, let's say. It's, you know, um, so yesterday when we're out on our ride, what did we see all over the places we're riding through these different towns was groups of five to 15 people in their lawn chairs having beers in the driveway. So (laughs) I think people will just become complacent and say well you know what we're gonna just try and keep six feet apart in our driveways and we're just gonna keep doing what we're doing so over time and come the summer i'm not sure how these little towns are gonna be uh gonna be viewing how all this happens uh i know there's discussion about the tour divide this year people going through all those little towns and some towns are welcoming riders and others are not so kind of play it by ear i think
0: yeah it's a uh, time will tell it it, I, I don't think obviously with the border being closed it's not going to start in in banff it'll probably be like a bordered border to border type race right um brush mountains closed um i think i think a lot of the little towns are from from what i've read are just kind of like well yeah i don't know if this year's going to be the year but uh yeah. yeah i don't know and you know the, the a lot of the bc um races have been cancelled
1: that's not to say that you couldn't head out and be fully self-sufficient either right i mean obviously tour divides a different story you got to resupply and everything but to go do a butter tart the butter tart ride at 700k right you can pack everything you need and mm. not have to stop anywhere and see anybody so that's true yeah
0: yeah i guess you know just use common sense and you know stay away from people and yeah it's, it's a hard call we'll have to see where it goes i know jonathan hayward of the ar 700 is still kind of on the fence because it's a bit later in the summer um yeah but yeah the epic's canceled which is a bummer but yeah, uh, yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see where it all leads
1: into the summer. But yeah, yeah, we need to be prudent about it and not uh, not be part of the cause for sure. Be part of the solution. Uh, that's that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's the real deal. <laughs> so you had
0: mentioned to me uh, the uh, you had some thoughts about perhaps running uh, some sort of um, bikepacking slash packrafting summit out there.
1: Yeah, I spoke with uh, Sarah briefly about it too, Hornby, and uh, just on the idea. And obviously, this this summer might not be the summer for it, or the fall, for, even for that matter. But um, to me, it just kind of makes sense. Uh, I know there's been discussion about bringing something more towards the east or central Canada, and uh, as an option for a summit, and in a in this region, it'd be fantastic, right? I mean, tons of us here have huge whitewater experience and swift water rescue instructor training. And we'd be able to run this whole other world of the, the bike packing and exploring and teach people about, you know, safe travel in and around waterways, moving water and paddling basic paddling techniques. And the owner of rapid magazine, Scott McGregor, like he's a huge mountain biker now. And we went out and did the, the, uh, Noir river on the, just on the West, uh, Quebec side here dumps into the Ottawa River we went and did a little article a few years ago on that we biked up with our rafts and pumped up the rafts and paddled back down the Noir and he was you know it blew his mind he had never done anything like that before so and it just opens up that many more doors for people if they want to throw a 10 pound or a 5 pound raft on their bike and Take off if the road ends. We know, right? We we always go in search of those no exit road signs and see where they go. And quite often they go to swamps or lakes. And now you could just blow up your raft and cross it and keep going. So,
0: yeah, that's pretty cool. I know a lot of a lot of guys out here are building their own rafts. You, have you built your own?
1: Nope. I've used uh, everything from the little climate dinghy to uh, some nice alpaca rafts and everything in between. Uh, there's there's that scene around here right with there's raft companies always coming into town and stuff yeah. and reps and kind of ask them so I've gotten to try quite a few which is which is great and super fun like without your bike on the back you jump into the the massive white water on the Ottawa and just go trash yourself just to see how how they hold up and it's, it's a good time so back to the the summit idea or maybe it's not a summit maybe it's just a gathering and we do some training here people who are interested in it but it it makes sense. It'd be super fun.
0: You're certified. Are you a certified instructor for 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 whitewater and whatnot? Yeah,
1: and there's there are a dime a dozen around here. There's tons of them. Yeah. It's great. And then the rafting companies and the local brewery right down at the water. Like camping would be a breeze, and meals could be provided or you bring your own. You know, like anything goes. Really, be lots of fun.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I mean, even if there, oh, I'm not even if there weren't a, a a biking component to that, it would still be an awesome event to attend like just um because you know the packraft idea is fairly you know it's up and coming it's fairly new it's a fairly new concept right yeah um are they are they pretty durable those things i'm always afraid that you i know, know like
1: <laughs> they, look, they look so featherweight right it's like yeah it's like a tiny little carbon piece that you don't want to drop or let touch anything but no yeah. they're they're durable like on the noir river we were scraping along the bottom it was pretty low water and our bikes were all, you know, the two tires were off on the frame and we had our sleeping foamy underneath and everything was ratchet strapped down and no problem. Like it was, they're, they're good to go. And if you Google some big water stuff that guys are doing in those boats, like they're doing 10, 20 foot waterfalls in these things and popping back up and.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. That's pretty fun. Yeah. I yeah. Hope, uh... <laughs> Maybe in, in another life, if I had more time and more time to get away for weeks on end, I would probably be pretty attracted to that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, And this
1: crossing the Ottawa River here gets you right into that gold mine of roads and trails and lakes and rivers, right? So you could, we had, um, we had Air, the company Air, A-I-R-E, their back rafts when Scott and I did it. And uh, we had two seven pound rafts, one each and they were rolled up on our front handlebar roll and we were riding on really rough ATV trail and I had the specialized uh, bar harness on there and it was, it was awesome. Like it was great. We were just bouncing around. We we're on our fat bikes and we were just bouncing through these rough ATV trails to get all the way up to where we wanted to launch and camped out for the night. And yeah, it's, it's a really nice way to travel. Nothing stops you at that end, right? Cause you can travel on water and you can travel on land. So that's pretty
0: light, I come to think of it, you know, seven pound tender to have like, strapped to your bars or your or a rack at the back. That's that's not too bad at all, is it?
1: Yeah. No, for sure. The little climate boat, yeah, the little orange ones, you've seen them, the climate dinghies probably they're they're four pounds. But I personally I would not go in anything above like class one, maybe some class two water, which is basically a breaking swift. Right. Right. So anything bigger than that and you'd want to have some solid paddling skills, I think, <laughs> or is, swimming skills. <laughs> is
0: the climate boat just, uh, I imagine it's, it's, it sounds, uh, how, how much you say? Four pounds? Yeah. There's a fold up yeah. on itself and.
1: It's, oh yeah. It rolls, it rolls right up like your Thermarest would, you know, same idea.
0: No, I mean when inflated, like, you know, uh, it's, it's probably pretty thin. So I imagine it would like.
1: Sorry. yeah, it kind of uh, noodles on you a little bit or, <laughs> a big enough wave and taco on you a little bit too. And then you got all your pedals and gears behind you or in front of you, however you set it up Jam in India. So it wouldn't be ideal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. think it's something you'd really want to skimp on your raft. No, especially no, if you're going to sure. go like North, like, you know, on the other, other side of the Ottawa, pretty remote. I mean, you want to have something pretty decent.
1: Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But I've seen people swim beside their rafts with their bike on it too. And their gear for, you know, lake crossing lakes and stuff, or if it's just something quick and you don't want to get all, you know, unfolding all your gear and tying uh, it all up, you just basically lay your bike on top of the raft and you swim beside it, and it's a good way to cool off at the same time. And, you know, as long as it's not too big of a crossing or anything. So,
0: probably not something yeah. we'd be doing out here with all our glacier rivers. No, no, probably want to get right into it. Yeah, that's awesome. So what are, what are you planning? Are you planning any other events? Tell me about
1: the the um, fat bike,
0: the Wendigo
1: fat bike. Yeah, the Wendigo was, uh, we just had our fourth year, the Wendigo. So it's the longest distance was 200 kilometers. And there was a 100K and then a 50K. And it's all out and back. And it used to start at the Whitewater Brewery in Cobden, Ontario, which is just 10 minutes from here. Yeah. And it used to take riders into the Quebec side via the rail line. And there was a, there's a cafe in Shawville. I'm friends with the owner. And he basically had that set up as the turnaround point point. and they'd have a coffee and there's a grocery store across the street. They could refuel at the grocery store if they want fully self-supported. They have to have same as the Arrowhead Tuscobia, you know, they got to have, the winter sleep system with them. They got to have their stove system with them the whole bit for the 200 K and they turn around and they come back. And that happened for a bunch of years. And then last year we had the, the old rail line that used to travel through deep river in Pembroke is all torn apart now. Yeah. And it's, it's called the Algonquin trail. So now it's a multi-use trail. Um, so I, I was given permission to use the Algonquin trail And now they go all the way to, um, Carlton place. So just south of Ottawa. That that trail does that trail goes all the way to Ottawa. So that trail goes from Smith's falls to, uh, just past Mattawa. So it's actually 300 kilometer trail. So there's, there's the opportunity there to really have a 600 kilometer event, which would be fantastic.
0: That's awesome. I love how they're, um, repurposing all these rail lines to trails. You know, yeah. like, like the BC Epic's mostly uh, rail grade kind of trail out here. And it's, it's awesome because it, it takes you into places that, you know, you'd never, ever see, you know, unless you took a train somewhere, right? Like you'd never see yeah. it. That's really cool. That's right.
1: Yeah. And it, it definitely, there's the historical or the cultural value, call it what you want, of being on that old rail bed and just thinking of the energy that went into constructing it in the first place. Yeah. And, you know, and the people there, everyone involved. And you just kind of look around and the perspective and the views that they got. And you kind of wonder how many years ago that was. Like, I know the rail line came through here in, in Pembroke, like 1872 or something. And you got to wonder what the forest looked like then. And, you know, the animals in the area and everything. And it's it's great. We did a trip through Algonquin Park on the rail line a few falls ago from the north and Kiosk. So just before Mattawa and it's uh, 120 kilometers through the park on the rail bed. Uh, Technically illegal, but it's not not, uh, surveyed. You know, no one's on there watching. Uh, It's an abandoned rail line, but that was a beautiful ride. Like, we camped in the park at night, and we paid our park fees and everything just to be legit about that, but what an opportunity there to open up that rail line for tourism and bring people through the park and show them a whole other way to see Algonquin Park.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was torn up. It was, it was torn up at the time or you're actually riding on the, uh, ties.
1: It, oh, it's all torn up. It's really? been torn up for years now. It's still, yeah.
0: it's still illegal. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. They don't patrol it. The see The rail line doesn't patrol it. And as, as soon as you step off the, uh, I think it's 30 feet or 60 feet to either side is still rail line. And then after that you're on park property. Um, oh but you see the canoe routes and the Portage trails that cross it. And so it's, it's a really neat perspective. Wow. So
0: so much opportunity out there. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, what else are you working on? Like, um, in your area? So are you working on anything kind of, uh, kind of big for a summer event?
1: Um, it's really just kind of building that route on the Quebec side right now. is what I want to do. And whether it becomes like a grand apart event or not, it's just, maybe it's an established route and, people can come and ride it and i can feed them some beta if they need it if they're coming up this way um i was heavily involved with the beachburg off-road cycling association for 10 years like i was directing for that long and over those 10 years we built like 40k a single track right in the township here so we've been busy 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 with that and every year we hosted a huge spring cross-country mountain bike race the uh, borka spring chicken and we'd see like (laughs) We almost broke three hundred riders one year, which oh, was cool. I think it was the biggest unsanctioned race in the province at the time. it was awesome they, We did a sixty five k loop or you could do a thirty five k loop and we have like thirteen different landowners that we deal with, and the rafting companies are on board like wilderness tours has been awesome since day one, and owl rafting and Because it's good for everybody, right? I mean, trails are recreational amenities that can add a lot of value, or they do add a lot of value. You think of places like Squamish where that's why you move there is to climb or bike or, you know, uh, play on the water and the sound and that sort of thing, right? So uh, everyone's getting that, you know, there's 40K a trail here. It's worth a lot of uh, sweat and and money at the same time, but we're all volunteer-based, so it's been – It's been great. the The scene here with all the paddlers, everyone's getting into cycling now, and you know we're seeing bikes on. uh, I live on the main street. We're seeing bikes on the back and the rooftop of cars here in this on a nice summer day, like by the dozens going by. Whereas five years ago, it wasn't that busy, right? It's It's a whole other scene opening up, which is great.
0: That's awesome. Are Are you do you work on uh, any uh, winter riding
1: out there to attract, say, fat bikers? Yeah. Yeah. So we do. Borka also does a winter series called the fat and frosty. <laughs> and, um, we've, we've linked up since day one with, uh, the whitewater brewing company and they've just been incredible the whole time. So these, these, uh, initially three guys that started whitewater brewing company, they were all raft guides that I trained back in the day. And, um, they kept working on the river and and they just love the area. So they all settled down into this area and then they all kept working on the river, but they also opened up whitewater brewing company and, and they've been, they are still to this day, a huge supporter of everything that we're doing. Um, Their brewery down by the river is where one of the main trailheads are for our, some of our more advanced trails. Um, You know, huge sponsorship for us every year with prizing and like massive gift certificates. And it's just awesome to see. And, and we trade off a lot on social media and that sort of thing. So it's it's great. It's a really good thing we have going here and I don't I only see it getting better and better with more trails being built. And we're kind of at the stage now where we're ready to maybe bring in some trail building companies and actually get some a couple nice flow trails going just to draw a few more people into the area. Yeah, yeah. that
0: that's cool when you have a small town you said what of 900 people. Yeah. And and then you know you have uh, this huge community backing to, uh, to, to kind of bring to grow sport in the area. Cause people see the, the economic value of that, especially in a small town, you need people to come there and that's right. And, and hang out and sleep in hotels. And I I've heard um, people say that like mountain bikers are the best people to have come to your town because they disappear into the woods all day and then they yeah. hit a restaurant and drink and eat their faces yeah. off and then they go to sleep. They're, yeah, per- they're exactly perfect. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, nice and quiet and and you know, we definitely cater to the land and respect the land. And yeah. you know, there's there's riders always coming out picking up extra garbage than what they went in with, which is great to see. And everyone's good about respecting land boundaries with different landowners and yeah, it's fantastic. We've always tried to model, model it off of kingdom trails in Vermont. Which they have like over a hundred miles of wow. single track, and it's six hours from here, and it's it's the same idea as Beachburg. It's a little village, and over the years they have so many more restaurants and inns and bed and breakfasts to stay at, and a couple bike shops, right? So maybe one day we'll get to that uh, that level, but we're getting there. There's a new Whitewater Inn right in Beachburg that opened up a little uh, about last year. And already yesterday finishing our bike ride we saw a car there with a bunch of dirty mountain bikes on the back. So there's people staying to ride. So we're just in the midst of opening up all our trails right now. We're leaf blowing everything and we groom just to touch back in the wintertime, we yeah, groom yeah. about twenty just uh we groom about twenty kilometers a trail in the wintertime. We have a double track uh, alpine skidoo, the old with the one ski in the front, you know.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. And that's for wellness tours lets us use that all winter, which is amazing and uh, and we also have a snow dog cool, so the snow dogs are super fun it's arguably it's just as fun grooming with that as it is to ride the trails after <laughs> yeah
0: yeah, we did a uh, the bike club here in Invermere did a fundraiser, not last winter was it the winter winter before, and uh it 's completely changed the landscape of fat biking okay. in invermere i mean you used to really have to work for your work for your turns like you know nothing was groomed and there wasn't Mm -hmm. a lot of people doing it at the time but but now yeah come winter you see people rolling in with with fat bikes and the grooming's fantastic and yeah it's uh yeah I don't do anything other than ride bikes anymore I don't ski or or do any of that I just you know just change the wheels and the tires over (laughs) yeah
1: exactly and It's crazy. I totally quit Nordic skiing.
0: <laughs> That's funny. No, you know what? My suggestion as an old guy, not an old guy, but I should do something else. I should do Nordic or skate because I find riding bikes so much my hips and my uh my 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 flexibility. I'm not spry anymore. And it's all biking's fault because it's the only thing I do and I should I should do yoga or or Nordic ski or even run would would probably help. So don't don't give up your Nordic skiing okay. cam keep it yeah, <laughs> Keep right.
1: doing yeah. yoga is big in this house we do yeah. yoga a couple of times a week it's pretty awesome so yeah there's so much online
0: yeah we've been doing yoga with the kids a little bit um yeah I can't remember what the name of the thing is but it's like a it'll be like a pokemon story you know and, and this <laughs> this this woman will do like uh like read the story but then act out and you do yoga poses and stuff the kids kind of like it oh that's good yeah that's kind of cool yeah yeah so um, another thing that came up in discussion when we were chatting before was uh, just the legalities of uh, being an events organizer and you, you said you right. might have had some insight into that. So yeah. do you do you teach law or something at Algonquin or
1: No no, no I don't I work with a gentleman uh, Jeff Jackson and he's he's Canada's guru on risk management. Uh, particularly in the adventure industry adventure tourism industry Um, so when when an incident happens he can be called upon to uh, not investigate but just provide feedback on why that why something might have (laughs) happened right and possibly how to mitigate it uh, the next time so why I I work within that industry all the time. Like Jeff's office is across from mine and we've been friends for a long time. He taught me in college and, and uh, now I'm back working with him, which is fantastic. Um, see so his tag on Twitter um, at, at Jeff risk RM, I think it is at Jeff RM for risk management. I'll, uh, I'll send it to you. Yeah, I do that. But uh, just incredible. So, I know lately he was working with the North shore mountain bike association on, um, the review of some of the structures that are in there and, and how they can be, um, I don't want to use the word controlled, but maybe it's just kind of a providing some insight on maybe signage for certain types of structures and that sort of thing. So there's always lots going on in this guy's brain and it's awesome to have him next door because you can always chat with him and he hosts a lot of events, uh, mountain bike events. And that's how we kind of, that's how I kind of learned what I know. So, um, do I teach law? Am I a lawyer? Nope, not by any means, but I, I work alongside someone who, uh, deals with it all the time. Um, so it was interesting and I actually picked his brain last time we spoke. I, I, uh, texted him and picked his brain a little bit on it more. Um, because it comes up a lot, and I know it's come up in your other podcasts, like with Mark Saint Clair and a few others, you know, do you charge money? And if you are charging money for a grand apart, like a bike pack event or any event, what what does that mean? Right. And um from, from our understanding anyways, is the, the very moment that you organize something and and that's typically labeled as what's known as an attractant, you're liable. <laughs> Now, that level of liability varies, right? Um, And we have things like the Occupier's Liability Act that can work on our side for us and for the landowners as well. Um, But the, the big word reasonable always has to be in place and it always has to circle back down to, is what I am offering to people reasonable, right? Am I making them cross a class three river where the possibility of them getting swept away to their death is, is high, then that's not really reasonable, right? (laughs) Um, Am I asking them to ride down some incredibly crazy, steep, dangerous, you you know, you name it. Is it reasonable in our world of bikepacking? So that's, that's that one word that needs to keep surfacing, but to the the fact is that the second that you organize a route, like you plan a route on ride with GPS or Strava and you post it as a grand apart, there's a level of liability that you're succumbing to there for sure, because you've created an attractant for people to show up and take part in something that you are in charge of essentially, even though we, we label everything as self-supported unsupported. um, There's still a level there that what if, And I'll just throw an example out there. What if a landowner throws up uh, some new fencing across a section that you rode maybe a week ago, but within that week, that farmer decided to throw up a new barbed wire fence across this opening on a downhill? Not that they meant to in a malicious way. Maybe they were closing in their cattle or their livestock. Probability low, consequence severity very high, right? (laughs) So... We, we just need to be cognizant of that. And and one way to take some risk away is a waiver. Um, and people will argue it to their deathbed that they don't work, but they do work. Um, they've been proven to work a lot and it can be, you know, something that you draft up and, and maybe you have a friend that's a lawyer and they want to take a look at the waiver and, and they'll say, yeah, you know, this is pretty good. And here's a few things to add in or take out. And get people to sign that if, if you're going through the, the steps of online registration and, you know, your history with bikepacking, your experience, why not just toss in one more layer and say, Hey, sign here, remove yourself as the organizer from, you know, any sort of major, uh, major or minor liabilities that way. It's, it's another shield against the organizer. I mean, the most common one we overlook all the time is the back of your ski lift ticket right? The skier's responsibility code. Someone says, if someone skis off a ski run into the trees and smashes themselves to pieces, well, you're probably going too fast, right? And that's right on the back, ski within your limits. It's, it's that simple.
0: That's interesting. Um, and I, ho- I hope this doesn't scare away uh, people who want to organize events. <clears throat> I think though there's, well, I don't know, I'm not a risk, risk management person. Do you think there's a there's another layer to that? Uh, uh, in terms of the demographic of the people who are participating in these events. Because for instance, from my point of view, you know, not super experienced, but I've done a couple events and, you know, I've been in spots where I'm like, I'm either lost or, you know, you're perched on a cliff or, you know, or you may not know yeah. where you are or, you know, there's risk. But it it, it never, ever would occur to me that if I fell and hurt myself, or something happened, or I got attacked by a wild animal, or something, that I would go back to Leonard Pretorius of the BC Epic and go, Leonard, you, I lost my hand yeah. to a bear because blah, blah, blah. Like, it, do you think there's a, there's a layer of that with the demographic? Oh, that, for
1: sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the beauties of what we do, the game that we all play, as we're all like minded people in the sense that when we sign up for something, whether it's your first you know event of that type or you've been at it for many many years you tell yourself i signed up for this yeah and and you know whatever happens is my doing um but there is always the the what ifs and in in my world in the guiding world in the instructional world we always have to ask ourselves the what ifs the what if what if the municipality went in and, and dug out a new ditch and they didn't get to finish it in time and it's a massive trench on a downhill? You know, all these weird things always going on in my mind when I'm planning and organizing and that sort of thing, but we do we do need to be cognizant of the fact that it's a possibility. And But I do agree with you. We're lucky in that the people that we play these games with and these events with are everyone's chill, everyone's up for the challenge and ready to get the beat down of their life and smiling on the other end. And yeah, I agree. So we do have that on our side for sure. And, and in reality, let's, let's take the, uh, the municipality digging out the ditch example. Who's that rider going to go after? Are they going to go after bike packer cam who, you know, yeah, I have a good job and that sort of thing. Or are they going to go after the municipality, mm-hmm. right? I designed the route through there, but who dug the hole, you know, and that sort of thing. And was it reasonable and foreseeable for me to to expect that ditch to be dug on that very day? And I did my last tour, of the course, my last sweep, and then they did it, right? So municipalities got a lot more coin under their, <laughs> their belt than I do. So, But it's a reality, I think, that every organizer should at least – Accept that there is a level of responsibility and liability that they have when they're posting up a route and saying, "This is my route, and come and race it or ride it if you want on this day."
0: So, um, the the person you work with, the risk risk mitigation guy Jeff, would is kind of having a waiver. Is that something he highly recommends
1: to people who are throwing these things together? Oh, for sure. I mean. The, the other big caveat to that too, aside from the waiver is whether it's free or whether you charge.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask. So if you exchange money, does that increase your, amplify your liability? Yeah. It does, eh?
1: Yeah, because that just automatically proves that you are the host of that event. Right. Yeah. Uh, whether you're an offer profit or for profit on your own, doesn't matter. But once, once there's an interaction, or an exchange of fees, it just basically proves that. Yep. You are organizing a race, call it what you want, but you're the organizer. You're the one that's essentially in charge. So that's where that waiver can come in handy. And, and on the waiver, you're, you're basically getting people to sign off on the fact that the organizer shall not be held responsible in the event of whatever. Right. right. Yeah. It and- kind of, it's, it's our reality as as much as some people can see it, you know, it kind of sucked, but you know, you got to look out for number one at the same time as well. Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. In your history of, uh, of guiding and, and bikepacking, have you ever heard of, uh, something coming back to to an organizer?
1: I I have, um, no, I have not. Um, in our industry. Yes, for sure. We see cases come through and, you know, a lot of bike park stuff, Mm. um, for obvious reasons, right. High speed, lots of people, big, Big features, that sort of thing, in the ski world as well.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but you're right in the sense that in our our micro industry of kind of bike pack racing and bike packing for fun, no, you don't really see, uh, you don't really hear too much about that. And maybe it's because there's not that many out there doing it relative to the other activities, right? And maybe it's because of the type of person as well. Like like you mentioned, that we're not out we're not out to get anybody. We're no. just out to to get ourselves
0: <laughs> yeah it's interesting it's something to consider for sure when you think of say you know taking the tour divide as an example it's like how many thousands of people have ridden that that track and uh you know there have been injuries and there have been you know a couple deaths i think even people getting hit by cars and whatnot yeah but yeah, uh yeah sure. i've never heard of it coming back to uh to matthew lee i think he's probably one of the most disconnected not dis. I shouldn't say that. I don't mean that in a, a negative way, but I think he's very he's pretty disconnected from it. <clears throat> yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Something to consider because cause, uh, you know uh, a lot of people don't like being called the organizer. You know, and they kind of put their hands up and they're like, "No, no, no, I just put the root out there." But but what you're saying <laughs> is that yeah, you put the root out there. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. that's that's crazy. Because yeah, we're just. You know, but- that's, the attra-
1: that's the attractant, right? The route is the yeah. attractant. So I see it, you know, bike like Miles, Arbor, Logan, they pop up a new route on bikepacking.com. It's like, oh, a new route, you know, and, and then the name of the person who designed it's under there. And r- right away, right? It's, they designed it. <laughs> so- yeah.
0: And so whether it be so even whether it be a race or an event or not, the fact that it's an attractant makes yeah, makes that person liable
1: to a certain degree. Right. And then there's different, there's different levels built in with that. Right. So like I take, I did Italy divide last year at this time yeah. and Italy divide, you pay to enter the event, right. It's a, even though it's fully unsupported and, and all that good stuff, but you still pay an entry fee because Jack, the organizer uh, and the designer of the route has gone to a lot of work and I'm happy to pay whatever it was, a couple hundred dollars uh, American or something, but the amount of energy and time we all know that goes into this is crazy um, it's more than just mapping out something on ride with GPS right yeah. <laughs> um, but in, in that sense versus tour divide where you don't pay anything right you just kind of put your name down and show up and away you go and you're a blue dot on the screen for however many weeks you're out there um, there's a different level right there for mm. Italy divide versus tour divide right uh, and then we think of like the Atlas mountain race where they're being followed in patrol cars and, and checked out. There's a whole other level of, uh, of uh, responsibility there to a certain extent, but it, of course it varies within countries too, right? And I'm sure it's very different at the Atlas mountain race than it is tour divide versus in Canada, just the the legal aspect of it all.
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah. I was talking to Jay Peterberry a couple of weeks ago, just about, but about those events and they're just different events, right? Like, you know, for, for uh, Leonard or Jonathan to put out a route and just say, yeah, let's meet here and go ride bikes. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot different than, than having to pay, you know, a couple hundred bucks and, you know, getting a swag bag when you sign up and stuff like that. They're, they're just completely different, different events, but it, it would seem to me that the level of liability for the paid events would, would be a lot higher because yeah. um, I think there's, there could be an expectation of um, safety, of protection, you know, if you've paid to enter um, something like that and say you were to get into trouble, there would yeah, almost, exactly. yeah, there'd be like an expectation
1: there. So oh,
0: that's interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah. And the fact that, in know, in any of these events, there's, you know, you can typically call in to someone for whatever reason, right? Well, right away there's, you're leaning on somebody who's basically supporting supporting you, and one, I don't want to use the word support, you're basically uh, asking somebody questions that are providing some answers to you, or maybe you're just giving feedback about something, but the fact that you're relaying information to someone, that they can spread that information across the board that kind of puts them at a higher level, right, than everybody else who's kind of racing here. Yeah. So... Well, some
0: to consider. I mean, something to to keep in the back of your mind when you're organizing something.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you know, you got, you got a friend who's a lawyer. Just maybe pass on a, a an example waiver to them and see what they think. Like it doesn't it doesn't hurt. Would I would I be less inclined to sign up for an event because there's a waiver? No, not at all. If I want to protect the organizer, right? It, it it's got to come from both angles. You're protecting yourself as the organizer, but then as a participant, you're also doing your due diligence and protecting your friend who's probably the organizer, or maybe you don't know Mm -hmm. them, but you're a like-minded person, right? So you're also protecting them.
0: Yeah. Whenever, whenever you put, whenever you sign something, it always seems that it's like, okay, this is very, this is much more official. And if I ever have trouble, I can go back to the organization and, and I don't know, that's, it's interesting. Yeah. It's complicated.
1: It's very on par with paying for, like you pay for something, you own it, right? So so it's once that money transaction's there there's no real difference in having that waiver beside the money being exchanged right it's they can go hand in hand quite easily cuz we know that once we pay for something or once you charge a fee for something you're you're basically that person collecting fees and organizing that event or non-event whatever you want to call it it'd, so, be, it'd
0: be nice if there was like a canadian uh, lawyer who had uh who would um, write up these waivers pro bono for these dirt bag organizers to, to use as, as to protect themselves. I wonder if Jack yeah. would do that.
1: Oh, I'm sure we could chat with him and. Yeah. It'd be interesting. I, I, you know what? I think
0: I will reach out to him and talk to him cause it'd be cool to kind of dive deep in that a little, little deeper oh, into sure, that and yeah. see kind of what he has to say. And that's yeah, cool. Definitely. Tell me about Italy divide. Tell me about that. How
1: was that? Oh man, <laughs> I'd go, I'd go back in a second. Um, that was so I did I did tour divide in twenty eighteen and then last year Italy Divide and I've always wanted to do tour divide, like that was on the bucket list for a long time, and then time and money and all that just kind of worked out finally to go and take the time and, and go and do it. Um and then I I met a father and son on uh, tour divide who it was really weird that we were at the start in Banff and he saw I had a Canadian flag on my bags there and he came over and he's like, Oh, where are you from? And I said, you know, near Ottawa, Beechburg. And he's like, Oh, we live in Toronto. uh, But we also have a rafting company in Costa Rica.
0: Oh, nice. And
1: we bring students to Costa Rica every February and we go rafting with them. And the company that we deal with was next door to his company. (laughs) So for 10 years I've been going to Costa Rica rafting. And I never knew this guy or his son, and here I meet him at the Grand Depart of the Tour Divide. Oh, so and fun. they had done they had done Italy Divide and said it's a super ass kicking. It's just awesome. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm doing it next year if everything works out." So signed up for it and was you know I got everything ready and away we go. And it's it was just incredible. It was my first time in Europe. Um, I lo- I loved it. It was. It was everything that Tour Divide offers, jammed into thirteen hundred kilometers. Uh, so bang for your buck if you're looking for something to do in a week. <laughs> it just just awesome. Like crazy steep climbs, like knee popping steep climbs. Beautiful country, wine country. You know, you name it. It it had everything for sure. It was the the cultural experience was just incredible. And that's always a huge toss up for me when I'm doing these events is do i put my head down into the night and keep pedaling or do i you know stop you know 11 o'clock at night sleep so i can actually wake up in daylight and see more of this country and, and meet more of these people um that's always probably one of the biggest challenges or decisions i have to make every time is is uh is it a race or am i focusing on the cultural side of it and absorbing as much as i can and And uh, again, the cultural experience is one on this one. And uh, I think it was like six finished on my sixth day or something. Um, But just wicked, like beautiful, uh, beautiful landscapes, huge landscapes. So that was the year uh, uh, Sofiane and, and James Hayden finished together. And they, the end of it is just like ridiculous climbing from Verona up north into the mountains and ski resorts and stuff and they got snowed on right in the last <laughs> uh, day and a bit and I was almost two days behind them I guess so everything had melted out for me so y- you look at, at a quick little stop you check your social media where they are and what they're doing and you can see they're like covered up and all bundled up with their <laughs> little ultralight coats on and stuff and trudging through the snow hike a bike and, and then I get there and it was like The puddles were frozen, but it was just beautiful, and open skies, and everything was melted, and it was just great. So, yeah, I'd I'd go back in a heartbeat and and do that event again, for sure. That's cool. Um, Well worth it. Awesome. And tell me
0: about your Tour Divide experience. What was that all about?
1: Oh, Wicked, too. Um, Yeah, it was, uh, I did, uh, so I did it on my Fat Boy fat bike, but a set of 29ers. Oh, yeah. I had built up. Nice. So I put on uh, Woven Precision hand builts makes some beautiful carbon wheels out of Ottawa. Uh, so I had them set me up with a, a set of 29ers, and I just put Maxis Icon 2.2s on, and the mud clearance came in really handy. On like <laughs> I was going to say, that's a skinny tire. <laughs> yeah, you got like two inches on each side. Eh? And the Banak Road, I woke up that morning at, just before entering that section, and and it was raining all night and it was super soupy and people were walking their bikes and I was just riding on through and it was, it would build up to the point where it was so thick, almost touching my, my stays on each side. And That's then crazy. it would just kind of like peel off because the weight was so heavy. Like always, <laughs> I always had clearance. It was like, yeah, it was like just big tubes of of mud coming off my tires and dropping to the ground. It oh out
0: That's crazy.
1: No, of mine was incredible. I, uh, you know, I'd lived out west, so I knew what I was getting into in terms of, of the climbing and that sort of thing, but it's just nonstop every day and you're just like, your eyes are just looking all over at the lands, huge landscapes, beautiful, beautiful landscapes and the flowers are out and the, the animals are cruising around and it's just great and um, probably the highlights New Mexico for me, I'd never been that far south in the United States and everyone says, just wait till you get to New Mexico. It'll, it'll pop your cap in terms of uh, energy expenditure. And probably because I'm also completely exhausted at that point too. Yeah. But uh, it was really tough. And we were in a, it was like a extreme heat that year, 2018 down there. It was like 104 degrees oh or something. Oh God, it's
0: so hot. Like,
1: yeah. Huge fire, forest fire uh, warnings on. So all the forest fire bases were open. And you'd pull into one and they'd have water ready for you and stuff. And But the landscape in New Mexico was just incredible. Like I'd, I'd go back there and tour around there in a second. Just beautiful.
0: Awesome. I'm hoping yeah. to do that next year. That's the that's the plan anyway. Oh, it, we'll see what happens. How long were you we out there for?
1: I finished on my 23rd day, I think, 22nd or 23rd day. Yeah. Yeah. And I had two half days in there. Uh, one actually on day two in Fernie I, I my rear derailleur was just a mess so I had to go into the shop there for a bit and then in uh, Helena Montana I had to go in there and my, my rear hub was just not the hub sorry the uh, free hub yeah. was just was just done so that was half a day of drinking espressos and then <laughs> getting it all tuned up the shops the people are so great on there like they just you know there's people bivied out at the door waiting for them to open and they're they're all smiles when the door opens there to help you and just fantastic. Yeah. It's worth it.
0: I really want that experience. I I can't wait for that. I don't even care about the suffering or the, how long it takes me. I just want to experience the, just the people and the landscapes and the, yeah, the pushing your limits like that. And what was your strategy doing that? Like, did you, how many, how many K a day were you targeting? Uh,
1: 110 miles, 170 K or so. Uh, A couple days were bigger if you had the wind on your side and then a couple were shorter if you had a a mechanical or something, but, uh, and I pretty much stuck to that. Um, Like coming from my background with some guiding and, and, and that sort of thing. I'm never going into these. I'm never concerned about my gear or how to use it or anything like that. That's just like second nature to me now. Uh, It's always just kind of the physical side of it. Just, doing what I want to do in terms of my goal, but then also just trying to take in as much of the, the landscape and, you know, the, the flora and fauna as much as I can out there. That, that's a huge part of it for me is, is just letting the landscape come back into you and just absorbing all of that as much as possible. Cause you never know when you're going to be able to get out to those particular spots again and, and experience that again. So it's, just awesome do whatever you can do to make it happen
0: (laughs) yeah well you know the family's on board my wife's on board i think
1: okay so um
0: yeah and and i'm pretty sure i can get the time off work um i'm not too worried about that yeah scared shitless though i'm super scared Uh,
1: (laughs) i think it's important to be it's important to be nervous about everything but it's uh, healthy yeah exactly yeah that's what can keep you motivated to keep riding and get the job done right so yeah i'm not even sorry go ahead i just get i think with like uh just in your podcast with jay peter very there he said it so well he's like he can either be he can either be frowning and bitching about stuff or smiling and uh you know you know who's going to come out on top every time it's the person person smiling right so i i and i'm the same way too is it can be as cold and as miserable as you want um but if you're smiling it's still all really good (laughs) Yeah. Right. So yeah,
0: I, I kind of like those tests, though. Like, you know, it's 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 reassuring. I think Jay also said it. I've got all my stuff. I've got everything here. Everything. I have everything. I I don't. I'm gonna be warm. I can be dry. I can hop into my bivy if I need to, or wrap up in my tarp or whatever. you have all the shit you need to get through it, and nothing's forever. So if it starts to like blizzard or rain or whatever, it's like, well, yeah, in, in an hour it's gonna be different or five minutes it could be different so that's right try to smile through that stuff yeah i'm not scared of i'm just scared of like um the machine making sure that the machine, that i can keep the machine running like my machine
1: right you yeah. Know, the, yeah
0: the joints and and you know my ass and just to c- kind of keep everything uh in a good place so that i i can keep the smile on every day because <laughs> yeah when things start breaking down it's going to be hard to uh it would be hard to keep a positive mindset, but that just comes with experience, right? So,
1: exactly, yeah,
0: that's cool, man. Yeah, to
1: be all part of it. <laughs> Do
0: you have another big, uh, big race planned or anything planned?
1: No, uh, we were, we when I say we, my my uh, partner Jordan and I, she she teaches too, so we have summers off, and and uh, we were planning on going into France this summer and doing some bike packing there, but that's going to be off. uh, off the calendar for this year so I think it's really just going to be kind of stay stay healthy stay within short distance of here and maybe get some more trails built this summer here and tour tour right from home maybe and go go that route so unless things open up very quickly and it's deemed safe to travel again but we're not counting on that at all I'd rather see the opposite happen with a slow reopening and everyone everyone staying healthy and and safe in that respect. So, um, the butter tired is definitely on the list to do for, for as soon as we can, essentially. Yeah. Just just next door. So.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a, the good summer to explore our backyards and see kind of what's going on up there. Huh? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Try and finalize the, the West Quebec route this summer of as soon as we can get across the border, the provincial border here again. Um, we will go and just kind of disappear for a few days and there's a few spots in there. I need to get, actually get into physically, uh, just to make sure that it passes through and then should be good to go.
0: Yeah. Are they actually manning the borders out there? The provincial? They, they are, they are yeah. here. Yeah. Like at uh, Gatineau or just at every crossing they have police Gat- stations. Would,
1: yeah. Gatineau was the start of it all just cause yeah. there's so many workers back and forth. And then there's uh police cars just kind of there, I think 24 hours now mind you I haven't tried riding through on my bike um, maybe they allow that I don't know I have to go and ask them and see but uh, even yesterday we rode towards Golden Lake and the First Nations Reserve there uh and they had their the reserve was uh, closed down in terms of no no uh, you know traffic where you don't need to be traveling through just business related and local traffic. But they, I mean, they let us go through on the bikes. That was totally fine. No, oh, that's good. But uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's the real deal for sure. So they're not letting anyone buy for no reason. Wow.
0: The new reality. Yeah. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. awesome.
0: So yeah. where, where can people find you online if they want more information about your area and some of the events that you talked about?
1: Um, I'm, I'm on Facebook. I did a page up on Facebook just for more cycling-related things, just to kind of not flood the the regular Facebook page with just biking stuff because, you know, I chat with students a lot on Facebook mm. too to give them information about things, so it kind of differentiate that way. Um, Borka Trails is on Instagram as well, at Borka Trails. At um, Wendigo Ultra has its own Instagram page as well. Yeah. Um, yeah it's really it. Yeah. I mean if people are up in this area, all our trails are on trail forks, so you can cool. check it out on on trail forks too
0: right on man well, it was good to connect with you finally cam
1: yeah definitely it's it's funny grew up pretty close, but uh yeah, it's so funny far apart now but really uh really really appreciate what you're doing though it's great i Thanks. mean it's it's huge and it's definitely needed um just to kind of keep everyone in the loop and keep everyone excited about this, especially in times like this. Um, we got to keep the the stoke factor up as high as possible. And I'm sure everyone's at home now doing whatever they can to ride, but also there's gotta be some, some mega planning going on right now with folks and maps. (laughs) Yeah. So much time on our hands to just sitting around idle. You can plan out some mega adventures for when the gates open up, we can actually go again. So just, uh, just know that what you're doing is is definitely uh, appreciated across the the country for sure. Thanks, Cam. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, and I, I was I was stoked to start doing it once a week too with my new platform. I really wanted to get conversations out like more often, just to kind of keep people engaged. And uh, I'm happy to hear that it's uh, it's being received well. So thank you for that. Awesome. Yeah,
1: and your approach to not not being just bike centric too, right? You want to be a little more uh, rounded on the edges with other other industries and disciplines and stuff so i think that's great too and thanks it's it's there's more we love what we do but there's there's more angles to it right that can help everybody out so that's awesome thanks cam cool hey thank you
0: hey well enjoy the rest of the day and and we'll connect again soon okay so let's just keep in touch and uh let me know what else you have going on and and if you ever yeah. have something you want to talk about then uh, let's yeah, let's get together and once...
1: chat Once that West Quebec route develops a bit more, we'll, we'll share some more info on that.
0: I want to thank Cameron again for his time and thank all of you for tuning in. And I also wanted to let you know that I've got some great conversations coming up in the coming weeks. I sat down with Paulo LaBerge and uh, Heather Pluis, HP Sauce and Crank and Grind. Uh, Paulo, I I hope I got your, your last name pronunciation right. I'm embarrassed even not know it actually, but, um, yeah, Paula and Heather and I sat down and had a great chat just about all the touring they've done and kind of the meaning behind, you know, the, the, the meaning they get from getting out there in the woods and having a good time. So I've got those two awesome couple. I've got, uh, Dale, Dale Marchand who, uh, who is uh, from Rollingdale bikes. I have a conversation with him coming up and it was an honor and a privilege to actually be able to connect with Paul Brody and uh, of Brody bikes a legendary frame builder here in Canada and BC in particular. That was really fun. And then last night I had a chat with my buddy, Chris Skinner of Playwest, and he's a hiking guide here in in Invermere. And uh, we had a great chat about kind of the evolution of his company Playwest. It went through a lot of different iterations. So got some great chats coming and uh, I can't wait to share them with you. So If you want to reach out to me, you can do so. You can send me an email at myback40podcast at gmail.com. You can send me guest suggestions, feedback, and voice memos. And um, hey, Joanne, I think it's time. You need to send me another voice memo. No one's sending them to me. Let me know what you're doing. Send me a a, a short little audio clip of um, what you're up to, what you're thinking about. If you're on a trip, if you're sitting by a campfire, or you're just dreaming about getting out on on a trip and what it means to you, send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. So you can send me uh, that to myback40podcast at gmail.com. You can also uh, head on over to myback40.org support. You can check out the ways you can support the podcast. Um, The easiest way you can support me is to uh, head on over to your favorite listening platform and give me a five-star rating. And a review is awesome. I had some pretty funny reviews over the last couple days. So I really appreciate that. Um, having a lot of fun talking to you guys and, uh, connecting on social networking with you just to, yeah, just, I love you guys. Thanks for all your support. It's really, really been fun. It's been a fun project. So that's all I've got. Stay healthy, get out there and ride bikes, forest bathe, and keep the rubber side down till next week.